From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. My dear sisters, brothers, and siblings, if we haven't met, my name is Jacob, and I bring you greetings from Holy Family Episcopal Church in Houston. We love you all so much, and it's a real honor to be with you. We love Justin and Sam and the team, and just just love you all so much. So uh, we're inspired by you. Um, We love you. We cheer you on. We pray for you. And it is a real honor to worship the living God with you today. I'm in this because Jesus Christ put me into this line of work. And if this is one of your first Sundays, we're glad that you're here. If you are looking for someone who uh, can give you new adventures in life and turn your world upside down, if you are looking for a church for the first time in a long time, if you're looking for a church for the first time ever, I think this place can be a community for you. And I remember showing up to a church for the first time in a long time where I really needed it. And I was met by the living God. And I know that there are people in this room that that has already happened to, right? That's why you keep coming here. And so if this is one of your first times, I'm just really glad that you're here. And I think these are your people and I hope that you'll give them a shot. I'm gonna read a scripture. We'll pray, and then we'll preach. This is the Holy Gospel of the Lord according to Mark. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed. And then, after three days, rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, then correctly, sternly corrected Peter. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, open us up. Open our eyes so that we can see. Open our ears so that we can hear. 
Open our hearts to receive whatever it is that you want to take out of your heart and place deep within ours. And then, O God, open our hands so that we can serve. And may I speak in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It has been said that God loves us and has a great plan for our life. But here's the problem. We keep trying to return that favor to God. We kind of love God and we have great plans for God's life. We think we have a pretty good agenda if God could just get on board with it. We've got lots of plans that we would like to see come to fruition. I mean, you should look at my prayers. They're basically my plans, my intentions, my hopes, and my dreams, and I'm talking to God to get God worked up about it and get on board with it and, you know, make it happen. We don't really actually want God to be God a lot of the time. Most of the time, we're not really interested in God setting God's agenda. So is it any surprise then that left to our own devices, you get to the end of it, and magically, God loves the people that I love. God hates the people that I hate. God has adopted my agenda and has magically just accepted my ethics. It's great. And we're so good at this. We do this all the time. We have a great plan for God's life. Now, I think this is because we prefer God to be vague. We like squishy, elusive impressions of the divine. And anytime we feel modestly or even moderately spiritual, we think, okay, I'm going to look inward. And so we do some interior work. And that's cool for a while. But if you've ever done that work, you know what happens. Eventually, you start noticing some things about yourself, and you think, oh, yikes, I didn't know that was down in there. And so you quickly pivot, and you think, I think I'm going to go to the beach. I connect with God on the beach better than in the depths of my soul. So you go to the beach, and that's beautiful. And then maybe you switch it up, and you go to the mountains, and you think, yes, this, this is much better than dealing with the stuff that's going on inside of me, and the stars, and the sunset, and the mountains all induce warm feelings, and it's just easier and, frankly, more fun to call those warm feelings God. And then eventually you like have to get back to your day-to-day -day life. So you find other people and you think, okay, once a month, I'm going to get together with these people because they're like-minded people. And I'm sure they wouldn't do anything reckless behind a voter booth. So I'll hang out with them. And they're kind of like me. And I go and I participate and the vibes are nice. And we call those vibes church. We love God, and we have a great plan for God's life. Which is the challenge of Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth 
confronts all of my deeply held preferences for God to be vague and made in my image. Jesus Christ comes and says, here's who God actually is. God is loving and liberating and life-giving, and I will show you exactly who God is. I will be so unvague, you might even be tempted to say, whoa, that is too particular. In Jesus Christ, we get a God from God, a light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, and of one being with the one he calls Father. This is such a particular God that it confronts all of my preferences for God to be squishy. I can even get on board with this to a degree. Okay, Jesus, thank you. I get it. I need to crisp some of this up a bit, bring it into focus. I understand I'm making God in my image and you can show me who God actually is. Thank you. I can probably even get on board with that. until you start talking about a cross. That's when suddenly things get really weird with Jesus Christ. We might even get open to saying, sure, Jesus Christ can show us the fullness of who God is. But then he keeps talking about the cross. In the story, Peter is really not down with this. He takes Jesus around the corner and like the old school translations say that Peter rebuked Jesus. <laughs> can, I mean, can you imagine that? It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Hey, a couple minutes of your time, just around the corner here. What are you thinking? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Are you getting cold feet? We've got you. Please don't, like this is not the time for a zag, right? You have a lot of popularity. Everybody's good. We are super excited about what you're trying to do in the world. And we've all kind of given up some things to back you and support you. What are you talking about with the cross? This is why anytime I meet someone, they find out what I do for a living and they quickly want to tell me everything about them. And Often they like to say, well, I'm cool with Jesus. I just don't know about whatever, whatever. And while I respect that and get it deeply, personally, myself, I also sometimes say, have you ever read any of the things that Jesus said? Like, really? Because some of it is like really difficult to take on. I understand you, you think you're down with Jesus. I like to think that I am too. And then I hear gospels like these and I think, oh, I'm actually not so sure. Peter loves Jesus and has a great plan for Jesus's life. Peter wants Jesus to be a leader, I think, with a throne, with real political influence in the world. And Jesus says, no, thank you. I'm gonna be a leader with a cross. We want you, Jesus. We don't want your cross. I mean, never forget when they actually did come to arrest Jesus and take him to the cross. You remember who pulled out the sword? It was Peter. 
he is very committed to Jesus not actually getting to the cross. And there's this weird little, weird little detail. It says that Peter actually cut off Malchus's ear. I mean, these are the weird things I think about late at night. How do you pull that off, by the way? I mean, really think about the mechanics of that. Like, do, do you, if you go straight down, you're probably also going into the shoulder, right? Like, do you have a really sharp blade? Well, how did you actually clip the ear? And best as I can tell, Peter was actually going for a headshot. He meant to decapitate the arrester. And the guy, his name's Malchus, he ducked. And when Peter went for the head, he just clipped this side and took the whole side and ear off instead. So we should really believe Peter when he says, we won't let this happen to you. We got you. You don't have to go to the cross. Promise. We want you, not the cross. I'm way more like Peter than I would like to admit to you people. How about you? Why do we want Jesus without the cross? I think some of us are probably embarrassed by it. I think others of us, the only time we've heard about the cross, it came with these really cringy hot takes that just deeply felt wrong and out of sync with everything else we knew about who Jesus Christ is. And so we said, okay, that take does not work for me. And so we rightly set it down, but we didn't know what to pick up instead. And so the cross just gets put in this weird holding pattern and we think, okay, so I know it's not these weird ideas that I've heard before that are really problematic theologically and ethically and morally, but I don't know what to do with it instead. So let's just 86 this thing, push it off, and maybe we won't have to talk about it because I don't actually have an alternate. And the challenge with that, of course, is that once we do that, we're back to our devices of making Jesus Christ into our image again. And suddenly he just loves who we love, hates who we hate, and perfectly adopts our ethics and never challenges us at all. Yet, I can't get this line out of my head. I mean, <laughs> imagine Jesus Christ looking you in the eye and saying, get behind me, Satan. This is on the Mount Rushmore of the harshest things Jesus ever said to another human being. Not, you got that one wrong. Not, hey, walk it back a little bit. Not, let me tweak that. Get behind me, Satan. Now, growing up, I thought Satanism was like goat's heads and, I don't know, pentagrams and candles and black lights or something. Well, I guess not. In the gospel, the truly satanic thing is thinking that you can have Jesus Christ without his cross. It kind of scares me because I want Jesus, I think. And there are times I really don't want his cross. And I'm not sure I'm prepared for Jesus to look at me and say, you know, you're not thinking like God. You're thinking like you. And actually, you're thinking like Satan. Jesus turns and he says to the crowds with him, anybody else thinking this way? 
Let's just get it all out in the open. If you're thinking this way, let's talk about this now because if my cross offends you, wait until you hear that you yourself are gonna have to take up a cross and follow me. I know you say you want to follow me, but do you really? Are you sure about that? This is what Lent is like in the church, church where we no longer get to squirm out of these concoctions that we've made and instead have to really think deeply and critically about how much we really want to follow Jesus. Can we just get to it? Just penetrate right to the bottom. Why a cross? What's the point? Why? Why is Jesus so insistent on taking us to the cross? What is that about? For most of my life, anytime I asked a version of that question, I got a similar kind of response. And it basically always came down to the word F-O-R, for. Jesus died for my sins, or something like that. It's always in the register of for but I've learned from a vicar in London named Sam Wells. You know, all the things that Jesus says from the cross, not once does he ever up there say, look at what I'm doing for you. And yet all of our alleged explanations about what God is doing on the cross are always in the register of, well, God was doing this for fill in the blank. But when Jesus is actually on the cross, what he does say is, Today, you will be with me. And I've learned from Sam Wells that instead of thinking through the cross as a profound for, it's the deepest form of with we've ever seen. When Jesus is born, we call him Emmanuel. Do you recall what that means? It's something like, with us is God. God has come to be with us in Jesus Christ. In fact, the good news of the gospel is that God has determined never to be other than to be with us in Jesus Christ. Which is amazing, but have you thought about it from God's perspective? Like, how with them do you want to be? Do you want to go up to, like, the edge? Humans die. You sure you want to go be with them? So what happens in the cross is God's irrevocable commitment to be with us even in death. I mean, what's, what's scarier than death for some of us? Why do we fear death? Because we don't have no idea what it is and we fear we're ultimately going to be alone at the end of it. Jesus Christ comes and says, if humans are going to death, I am going to death. There is nowhere that you and I will ever go that Jesus Christ is not going to be with us. The cross is God's profound commitment to be with us all the way. And while it shows God's commitment to be with us, 
Jesus' cross also simultaneously reveals our secret hidden commitment to exclusion for all of our inclusive talk and to violence for all of our peacemaking talk. We always eventually want to exclude somebody. We always eventually think, yeah, but somebody's got to pay for this, right? We always think there's got to be at least one scapegoat. God did not kill Jesus, we did. God did not pour out God's wrath upon Jesus, we did. God is not the one who is bloodthirsty, we are. I mean, our track record is pretty consistent on this. Which ratchets up the beauty of the cross in a, a way that is hard to comprehend. It is simultaneously God coming to be with us even when we are at our absolute worst. And the cross is God's critique of our lust for power and oppression. And it is simultaneously transforming our worst violence into God's true power that forces us to behold difficult juxtapositions of both beauty and brutality simultaneously as we consider the God who has come to be with us when we tried really hard to tell God to go away forever. The cross was our last stand against God to pin God down and say, leave us alone. And God raised Jesus from the dead and said, are you done with your power plays now? Are you done with your cheap charades? Are you done trying to do it by yourself? Nobody has to die. Nobody, there doesn't have to be a scapegoat. I've come to be with you all the way. And I will lead you into a more deeply human life where you can truly love others. And so in our obsession with control, we let out all of our anger to God. We tried to send God away forever. And God, in God's gentle love, and deep solidarity went along for the game, played along with the charade, and exposed us for the frauds that we are, who are always trying to, all I know are power plays, don't you? It's always, what can I get from you, and angle this, and do this so that I can, and God just does away with all of that on the cross. So, when Jesus tells us that if we follow him, we must go to the cross. It is because of his commitment to being with us. And when he tells us to take up our own cross, it is not because he wants you to hate yourself. It is not because he wants you to get down on yourself. It is not because he wants you to hurt yourself. He's demonstrating for you what it is to truly find your life by being in the deepest solidarity you could ever imagine with others. The cross is how God came to be with us even at our worst. You and I can follow with our own cross
and learn how to be in the deepest solidarity with others, even when they are at their worst. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.